Come on. Amen. Well, we are super honored and thankful to have the privilege and opportunity to have Pastor William Hinn with us. Come on over here, Pastor William. This is Pastor William. He's been a friend of our house for several years. It's been too long since he was last year. It's been like three years. Uh, he's the senior pastor of Risen Nation Church, just an amazing house of worship that loves the Lord. Uh, he's in Tennessee now with his family, uh, launching a new campus there. They have another campus in, in Fort Worth or Dallas? Technically Fort Worth. Fort Worth, Texas. You know, if you're from Fort Worth, you're from Fort Worth. You're not from Dallas. I'm learning this from my family and friends. So uh, would you please stand to your feet and honor the man of God, honor Pastor William as he comes to share the word with us this morning. Thank you, thank you. You can take your seats. Yeah, we say Resonation Dallas, but we make a lot of our Fort Worth people upset. So I go back and forth, try to make it even as much as possible. Um, but I'm so honored to be here. Can you guys honor your leadership, Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Luke? You guys have a special team, special team here. And I have to say, you know, every time I've come, it's like you guys get closer and closer to God. And I just, I just want to say thank you for the way that you love him. You know, it's, it's unfortunate today going places and, um, and you experience a lot of God, but you also, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we also experience a lot of places that are doing things in his name, but he's not present. And it's, it's always like so exciting when you come somewhere marked by the three words, God is here. And you have a house that is marked by three words, God is here. And so I, I just love this place. Even when I'm not preaching, I'm just going to sneak in here just to be a part of worship sets because you guys tend to him well. And I just want to honor you for that deeply. Um, I want you to open your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to have a, a fun morning, a very interactive morning. Uh, I'm going to make a lot of you uncomfortable, and it's going to be very fun. Not necessarily with what I preach. I mean, maybe, but, but today is going to require participation. And I think one of, the, uh, one of the biggest struggles I find in the Western church is there's a mentality that as a pastor, as a leader, that people come and, and when people come, they come sometimes with an empty cup. Maybe they had a rough week. Maybe they don't know what to think about God, but either way, the cup is empty, and they want the pastor to give them something to fill the cup. But Matthew 25 makes it clear that I can't give you oil. Pastor Jonathan can't give you oil. It's something you have to cultivate alone with God. And so I believe that God is about to walk communities into a place where every single person in the place is like the woman in Luke 7 where every single person that comes to church doesn't come with empty vessels needing oil, but every single person comes in going, I plan to pour oil on the feet of the lamb today. Right? So what the Luke 7 narrative is a woman comes in with oil amongst refined, put-together men, and this woman does not have it figured out. I mean, so much so when she busts in, she breaks the alabaster box, she pours the expensive oil on the feet of the lamb, his own disciples are offended and indignant, and the Pharisees say, if this man knew what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't receive this from her. And he says, look at me, Simon. Imagine the Son of God saying, look at me when I talk to you. <laughs> so intense. 
He says, look at me, Simon. He said, when I came into your house, you didn't have water for my feet, but she did. He said, you didn't kiss me, but she hasn't stopped kissing me. I love this. And the Lord says to everybody for the rest of eternity, what she is doing in this moment is gonna be a memorial. She will be remembered forever. She comes in dirty. She comes in lowly. She comes in not having it figured out, but she comes in with oil when no one else did. And what would happen inside of communities, let's say, make it bigger, what would happen inside of cities if every single person came in with something to pour on the feet of the lamb? And it went from this experience to this experience. It went from us ministering to you to all of us ministering to the Lord together. And I believe that the Lord is, is there's a defining moment in history. There's this defining moment in this hour where the Lord is asking communities, he's asking leaders, he's asking husbands, fathers, mothers, are we sitting at the table of the Lord or are we first sitting at the table of men? In Ezekiel 44, it describes there's only two types of priesthood offered in the scriptures. There's one priesthood that tends to the heart of the Lord at his table. And then there's another one that their only job is to stand on the outer court and minister to people. And those that stand on the outer court and minister to people, according to Ezekiel 44, wasn't, wasn't a good thing. It was actually because they followed the people, the trends, the culture, and what everybody wanted. He said, the, the inheritance you will have is people, but you'll never be allowed to sit at my table and tend to my heart. And I believe the best form of evangelism, the best form of actually capturing the heart of the world is inviting them to God's table, not ours. What I love so much about what you do here, as you were taking communion and as you were preaching the gospel, I text all of our pastors from every location. I said, moving forward weekly. The gospel every week and communion. We have to come to his table and we have to invite people to his table. And this is a house where you have found the table of the Lord. You feel it when you worship. You feel it when you come in. I told the crew last night, you guys are weird and peculiar and I like it. <laughs> and I'm telling you, don't, don't, don't stop for anybody. Don't calm down for anybody. As this thing grows, the temptation is always, let's start appeasing people. No, no, no. Make the heart, make the resolute decision that God, you are first and foremost. And before we're ever building a house for people, we are building a house for the Lord. And I believe the Lord is captivating a generation with an obsession, with a sickness, with a Psalms 132 vow that says, Lord, we will not rest until you find rest. So come and make your dwelling place here. So the encouragement today is, is that you wouldn't just listen to what I say and maybe you leave encouraged. I actually hope you leave somewhat disrupted. <laughs> I want you to be happy. I want you to be encouraged. But part of me wants you to drive home feeling stirred. A part of me wants you to drive home not so much thinking about the Seahawks. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I touched the idol. Don't touch the high places. We're going to tear them down. We're going to tear the high places down. I like football too. So don't, don't, you know, it's fine. I'm just saying. What if the rush to get home wasn't to catch the game, but to fall on our face? <laughs> Stir us up, God. All right. Second Chronicles 29. Are you guys there? There's a reformation that takes place through this King Hezekiah. 
And the Lord loves Hezekiah. And, and just contextually, before we start reading it, so many times in Scripture you see in the Old Testament, it's almost this frustrating journey of the children of Israel where they come into the, the land of promise and, and some kings are all about God. There's no other high places other than the high place for God. And then it's like another king comes and he forgot the ways of his father David and, and they start worshiping idols and it's this back and forth, back and forth. There's eight-year-old kings. It's a whole situation. And, and it's kind of like they, they start out good. They always end up bad. And there is this intentional narrative you'll constantly see throughout the Old Testament where any time a king did not tear down all, everyone say all, all of the high places, all of them, the Lord said, away with these people. I'm not trying to be in intense. I'm just talking about what the scriptures say. We can't just read the stuff that makes us feel good. We got to read the stuff that reads us and makes us not feel so good and examine ourselves. This is what the word does. And so there is this narrative throughout the Old Testament of all the high places have to fall, right? He comes to Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, before you can build and plant, I want you to root out and tear down. And I believe in this hour, God is raising up reformers. God is raising up. He's getting us from being performers to being reformers again that are going to poke and challenge the spirit of religion. Because religion, listen, the world didn't put Jesus on the cross. Religion did. And there's still this spirit of religion in the West that is all about our traditions. It's passive Christianity, and it's all about dying and going to heaven. But there's a reforming beginning to happen in the church where people are beginning to realize what used to grow churches isn't growing them anymore. And I don't know if you've ever seen someone within like Gen Z or younger get saved, but when they get saved, they really get saved. And I don't know if you've ever watched the news, but the world's not getting any brighter. No offense, especially in this area. Why are you here? Arise and shine. You know, I love it. Corey Russell says that the, the darkest hour in the world will be the greatest hour for the church. Revelation 17 says that Babylon and 18 says that Babylon will fall in one hour. Wow. And in all of the merchants, it says, of the earth will see them up in flames and the world will mourn and the, the saints of God will rejoice. Here's a sobering question. Will you mourn or will you rejoice? The market fell in an hour. You'll know really quickly what you built your life for. Right? So let's be willing to be intense. Let's not let religion calm us down. And let's allow God to go, Lord, start in us. Judgment starts in the house of God. Let's take it even deeper. Start and search my heart, Lord, and find if there's anything in me that is passive. If there's anything in me just going through the motions. I'm, so in I'm gonna get to Second Chronicles, don't worry. I'm, I'm so inspired by people like Martin Luther, who in the 15, early 1500s, he shows up to the church in Germany, which is the main Catholic church of the day, and he nails 95 theses to a door. He grew up in the system as a priest, and at a time where they said you couldn't receive salvation unless you went through a priest, and not only did you have to go through a priest for confession, but you had to pay up to half a year's salary. And, and they didn't let you read the Bible for yourself back then, so you just had to believe what the priests said. 
So Martin Luther starts realizing we have made this about self-effort, self this self-righteousness, earning by works. you got to pay for it. And he shows up with 95 theses and he begins to bang it on the door of a church saying it's wrong. That the gospel is salvation is free. That you can't earn it. You can't work it up. You just say yes to it. That he bore the pain and you don't have to feel it. And then goes as far as saying when he was crucified, you were. When he died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he was raised, you were raised. When he was quickened, you were quickened. Come on, anyone ever read the scriptures? When he was seated in heavenly places, we were seated in heavenly places. And all we did was be born, sin, and then say yes to Jesus. And he said, all of it's yours. Wow. So when you start realizing who this God is, people like Martin Luther start standing up to religion. And what happens? What happens? Reformation begins to take place. If you follow the storyline of the Protestant Reformation, it leads to 102 people jumping on a boat called the Mayflower that they called Puritan separatists. And these Puritans who would write words like, Lord, unchain us from everything else and chain us to you. Amen. The Puritans would, would say things like, hide us in the wounds of the lamb. This was the beginning of our nation. This is how people talk. Eric Gilmore didn't start this. <laughs> I have a secret. Eric and I talk about this all the time. We just read Puritan books. And it starts getting into you and you'll start saying crazy, beautiful things. But these, this is how the people early in our nation talked. And so they come and they, they come before ever a nation. These people are a church. It all started with one man willing to stand up to religion and say it's wrong. Something's wrong. Because of the Protestant Reformation, the Bible's translated in more than one language for the first time since the days of the New Testament church. Because one dude has the courage, I want to say another word, but I won't, has the courage to stand up in an hour where they're trying to get you to be quiet, be refined, have a 45-minute service, go home, the Seahawks are playing today. And I'm telling you, God bless the Seahawks, but, but there's about to be a rejuvenated joy, hunger, love, sickness for God that I believe is running back into the church through people that are saying, we will not leave until he touches us. All right? And, and I'm going to get to the Reformation. I have Holy Ghost ADD, so just roll with me for a minute. But I just think this is important. I think it's really important because you have to have a reason for why are you so crazy? What is the hope that's within you? Why do you have this? Why do you burn? Why are you passionate? Why are you crying? I had a vision not long ago where I was sitting in my, my parents' actually backyard. And, uh, and how many of you ever read 1 John 4, 8, where it says that God is love? Anyone ever read that? Okay. How many of you know God's not bipolar? He doesn't have bad days. I just feel like I need to go here for a minute. The four creatures, we talked about it full of eyes. Stare at him for eternity, eyes inside and out. They see every side of him. They can only sing one chorus. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was, who is, and will forever be. In other words, he doesn't change ever. And the only thing we can come up with is holy. So they've never said we found a bad side of him. They've never said 
don't catch them on a bad day. Right? Today in religion, we try to balance them because we have wrath and judgment. So we got to figure out what to do with all this stuff. So we try to reconcile it and say he's both and. No, he's not both and. Our Lord is one Lord, unchanging always. A.W. Tozer says, everything God is, he is forever and immutably, which means he will be love forever unchanging. So if this is the case, if this is the case, then when he acts in wrath, it has to be driven by who he is because he can't be anything else. If he acts in judgment, it has to be flowing from who he is because God doesn't have two personalities. God is not like us. He doesn't, he's not one way one day and another way another day because of circumstance. He has an inability to change, which makes him nothing other than love. And everything he, that flows out of him has to flow from love. A great man said, all the judgments of God are simply this, ripping away that which hinders love. So that's why David could say, God, come into my life and judge me. Judge the things that keep us from perfect union. Judge the things in my life, the boundaries that I've created between you and I. And it's this invitation of his violent, passionate love. That's what the word wrath means, is it means violent passion. Like God is jealous so I had this vision, and in this vision, the Lord had been speaking to me that whole week about he's nothing other than love, and, and I see this vision, and, and I got baskets in front of me and what I'm seeing, and on one, and I'm going to just say it exactly what I saw. If, if this offends you, I'm sorry. I just, this is exactly what I got to be truthful. On one basket, I saw a, a piece of paper written on it, don't piss them off or you'll go to hell. This is what I saw. And I had a bunch of eggs in that basket. And then I was another basket that said, he's nothing other than love. And I had one egg there. And I heard the Lord speak to me. I dare you to put all your eggs in this basket. And my religion got offended. Kind of like maybe some of yours is. But you see, there is this, this sickness that overtakes you. When you start encountering a God of true mercy, where there's no condition too low that mercy can't reach. There's another Puritan quote. I didn't come up with that. It's good though, isn't it? And what this causes when you get captivated by God, that there's nothing that you could do to change his mind about you. See, we don't like that in the church because we've made God transactional. But he can't be different. God doesn't send people to hell. People walk there because God can't be different. Hell wasn't created for you. It was created for the devil and the demons. It wasn't created for you. Men don't belong there. He said, if I be lifted up, I desire that all men be drawn unto me. God's desire is that all might be saved because he can't be anything else other than come to me. Right? And so you start seeing this side of God and you start following and, and answering the dare of I'm going to put all the eggs in this basket of there's nothing that can change his mind about me. There's nothing I could do. There's no works I could accomplish. Listen, I used to think, because I heard my uncle spent eight hours a day with God. So I thought if I spend nine hours a day with God, I'll be more anointed. It's just math. It just makes sense that God will be happier with me 
if I spend nine hours. But, you know, my wife, we've got four kids. I travel a lot. She lives with diapers, dirty ones. And, and we've created this religiosity as if God only is in one place. But you see, you start to discover a God of love that'll be with you when you're changing a diaper. That you'll find him abiding with you in the most mundane things of life and all he wants is attention. Right? And so there's nothing that's greater about me because I've got three hours and Emily got 45 minutes. There's, there's no difference between us whatsoever while she's doing the holiest work of all of raising the next generation. But somewhere along the way, we felt guilty about being parents. Right? Because religions lie to us, making us think that if we're better, well-behaved, and we do good, that God will do good for us. But you got to understand, the epitome of the gospel is, is that you were disgusting, and he said, I want you. This is the gospel. The gospel is he's waiting on the porch from a son that absolutely, this is, this is the whole gospel right here. You ready? A son gets an inheritance early. He, he wants it before he before it's allowed to come to him. This is Adam. Give me what belongs to me. Don't you want to be like God? He takes the inheritance and he wastes it. Sleeping with pigs. Come on, we all know the story of the prodigal son. The father's waiting and the son comes back home and he has a religious thing he's going to say. And here's what he's going to say. Lord, I'm not, or father, I'm not, I'm not worthy to be your son again, but even the servants do better in your house. Let me just be a servant. And I love this. The father sees him from far off, runs to him. He falls on his neck as he's yelling, get the ring, get the robe, put sandals on his feet. My son is home, right? The son, after being kissed by his dad, says, stop kissing me. I got to read something to you. So he starts reading. I'm not worthy to be your son. The servants have it better. Let me be a servant again. The dad doesn't even respond to him. <laughs> I love it. He just keeps kissing him, starts screaming. Where's the ring and the rope? The oldest one is bothered because he's not worthy of this. This is the gospel. What this does to people when you start finding, see, people think that grace is an opportunity to sin. You've never found grace if that ever entered your mind. Because true grace is you have been impacted by the life of God. This is what it means. Divine influence upon your heart and then the reflection of that life. A mirror doesn't have to work hard. Reflections are not self-effort. They're just present. Could he be that good? The reflection of the life shouldn't be difficult. If he changed the position, it shouldn't be difficult to live in the condition. I don't, when I travel, I don't, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but just roll with it. When I travel, I don't have to walk around like this when I see females. God forbid I did. You know why I don't have to walk around like this? Ask me why. Thanks, Gerardo. Anyone else awake? Why? Okay, because I'm in love with my wife. Like, God forbid I walked around and constantly was fighting the temptation of not committing adultery. And just every time, don't commit it, don't do it, don't do it, don't look at them. 
Do you know that you get to a point where you don't think about it anymore because love is blinding? Love is not difficult. You see, the requirement of the law, impossible. But the power of love, all things are possible with God. Jesus comes along, he says, it's not just commit adultery. If you even look at a woman lustfully, it's like he raises the standard, makes it more impossible. And they're thinking, how is this even possible? I'm gonna change the way you feel. How many of you were alcoholics or drug addicts and you got free? Raise your hand. Look at that. Come on, let's honor the Lord for this. Okay. Here's what's powerful about the power of God. Raise your hand again if you don't desire it anymore. Raise your hand. Look at that. 100% of them. Raise their hand again. That's called the power of the gospel. And I don't know about you, but when I start realizing the God that I serve, we talked about uncreated, hangs planets on nothing, sneezes out constellations, sits on a throw on top of a sea mingled with glass and emerald rainbow above his head as angels shout holy, holy, holy for eternity, crowns piling at his feet from elders, stars are singing his name. No beginning, no end. When did he start? Never. How long is that gonna go? Forever. What? Father of glory. He's a dad to glory. Doesn't even make sense, but somehow he's glory's dad holds all things together by the word of his power and just casually walks on water. All the majesty, all the wonder, I told you guys last night, four to 6% of the universe, scientists said, we've actually discovered, but we can't get to 7% because the universe is still growing in the speed of light in every direction. God said, let there be light one time. And the universe is still obeying at the speed of that word in every direction. All power, all glory, all majesty, all things made through him, for him, and in him all things consist, holds your body together by the word of his power. Rivers give him an applause, Psalms 98 says. Rivers clap their hands and stones cry out if we don't. All that power became a seed inside of a woman. What are we talking about here? All the wonder, the majesty. Like you start thinking about this stuff, you quickly realize he's the Pacific Ocean and you're a paddle boat. The Lord says, beginning of wisdom. You start to fear the Lord, how big he is, how small you are. And he said, I wanna live in you forever. What? You ever thought about this? Jesus walking around, listen, Mary overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit puts a seed inside of a woman, which makes Jesus have a chromosome called God. Just walking around, calming waves and wind. And the whole point is I wanna get close to them. And we're bored in church. You start thinking about this stuff and something begins to erupt inside of you. Zeal for him begins to eat you up inside. Praise begins to erupt and it's not mustered up anymore. It's actually thankful. When's the last time you just spent 30 minutes thanking God? But we've created a tradition. So here comes Hezekiah. You guys ready? Verse three. That was just the opening. So just hang, no, I'm just kidding. Wow, it's already 1145. 
What time's the Seattle game start? Who cares? <laughs> okay, here we go. See what I did there? All right, verse three. <laughs> Guys, I really am messing with you. I, I thoroughly enjoy sports and football. So, you know, go Seahawks. All right, verse three. In the first year of his reign, talking about King Hezekiah, the first month, he opens the doors of the house of the Lord and he repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and he assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, hear me, Levites. He's yelling at them. Now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of our fathers and carry out the filth. One translation says, carry out the debris that's in the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what is evil in the sight of God. And they have forsaken him and have turned their faces from the habitation of the Lord. And turn their backs to him. They also shut the doors of the vestibule and, and put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings. I want you to they, they don't give offerings anymore in the holy place. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord, there's that jealous passion again. Why is he mad? Because he wants them. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord came on Judah and Jerusalem, and he has made them an object of horror, of astonishment, of hissing. As you see with your own eyes, for behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword. Our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent. I believe that this is a word of the Lord for the church in the West. My sons, do not be negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence and to minister to people. What's it say? To minister to him. What a sacred gift. And to be his ministers and make offerings to him. And after he finishes talking, I love this. It says, then the Levites arose. I believe that in this hour, the Lord is restoring a Levitical priesthood that's getting back to ministry for God. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that's Old Testament. Jeremiah 33 says, I'm making a covenant with David. And he says, in this covenant I'm gonna make with him is one where Levites will minister to me and this will happen forever. Now, I'm not talking about some tribe in Israel anymore. I'm talking about a spirit. Everyone say spirit. I'm talking about a position of the heart. And he says, this covenant will be so strong forever that I will forever have forever. Everyone say forever. forever. Forever, when God says forever, he doesn't mean a few years. He actually means forever. So forever, these Levites, these people with the spirit of the Levites, what's the spirit of the Levites? Is We're not so much interested in God making us useful for his purposes, although that is important. God is looking for a people as a possession. I promise you, you get away from trying to work for God and you fall in love with God, you'll find yourself more useful. Bill Johnson says, in the kingdom of God, there's lovers and workers and lovers just get a lot more done. Right? And so Jeremiah 33 says, I'm gonna make this covenant with, with this, this Levitical kind of people that wanna get back to tending to the heart of the Lord first and foremost. Of God, how can we move your heart? Right? And it says this covenant will be so strong that if you can break the covenant with the sun and the moon at the appointed times that they rise and go down, that if you have the ability to break that covenant, then you can break this one. So this is something that we can't stop. It's something that is still going on. So here comes this king 
And this king comes into the nation of Israel at a time when there's no more sounds of sacrificial worship. There's no more sacrificial praise. There's no more offerings. They forgot about who he is. That's why I started with who is he and what is he like? Nothing other than love, all power, all glory, all majesty said, I want you. That we have that God in our bedroom with us. If that doesn't cause an eruption of praise, not because your pastor told you to, but you start thinking about when I consider the heavens, Psalms 8, and the work of your fingers, the sun, the sun and the moon, what is it about man that you're so mindful of? The son of man that you would visit us. You know what mindful means? It means obsession. Anyone ever been in love? Okay, four people. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's about to get interactive in here, all right? So you better start practicing. Anyone ever been in love? Maybe with a dog even, I don't know, just something. Ever loved something? Still figuring out if I like people. <laughs> when I fell in love with Emily, you know, you, you get foolish in love. You spend way too much money. You stay up way too late. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you stop being good steward about anything because you're obsessed. It's all you think about. Like, you know, I know some of you sweet, more wiser. I just call you wiser and seasoned if you're older. Um, you know, with us in our generation, like I got the phantom buzzes in my pocket with the phone. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Like you're waiting for them to text back and it's all you can think about. And when it's been 45 minutes, you're like, what's wrong? And so you feel the slightest movement in your pocket You know what that's called? You're sick. <laughs> you're, you're sick. We're this, we are sick. Sick with love. You ever been like that about God? You ever go to bed at night with a tickle in your heart to wake up in the morning? To be with him? Like a kid on Christmas Eve? It's ready to open the presence in the morning. Just the present is him. Right? So this is what God is saying about us. This is how I feel about you. You're all I think about. Uh, he says, I have more thoughts for you than all the grains of sand in the earth. There's like billions of grains in just a little square of sand. He has more thoughts for us. Jeremiah classifies it as thoughts for your welfare. What? What are we talking about here? It causes something to erupt in you. And so here comes Hezekiah to a nation that forgot about him because they forgot how he felt about them. And, and he shows up and you've got Levites and priests that are not doing their duty. They're not giving offerings anymore. Can I be honest and vulnerable and vent? Thanks. I don't know who you are. Is that you talking? I like you. You have a great beard too. Can I be honest? Yes or no? Okay. Today, oh, help us, Jesus. Pastor Jonathan is such a pastor and he'll clean it. It'll be great. <laughs> Today, we, we write songs for the Lord that are offerings for the Lord, but then we say, give us our royalties. And everybody does it. I, and I don't think anybody has malicious hearts when they do it. There's just no other way, right? Well, how do we get it out? How do we do this? How do we do that? 
if it's worship, true worship, it's offering, period. Right? David shows up in, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, and he shows up and he doesn't, there's a plague going on. And he comes to a house looking for a threshing floor that he can give an offering or a sacrifice to, to get rid of the plague. And he comes to this man's house and he says, what is it going to cost me? You're the king. This won't cost you anything. David says, I am unwilling to bring something to the Lord that doesn't cost me. Right? And so we are in an hour in the West where there's not a lot of offerings anymore. It's why to feel the anointing, we got to go to some of the older stuff sometimes. The stuff written in secret with no plans of being famous, just written to God. And there's a restoration of Levitical worship. And in the Old Testament, you see this constant narrative of any time revival and reformation would hit, it always started with the restoration of worship. Always. David, generations after he's gone, generations, a king would rise and he would realize we're not worshiping anymore. We're not keeping Passover. Like, I don't have time to go through this, but when you follow the words of Hezekiah, he actually goes into the treasuries where the instruments were that David built. And he tells the Levites, go get the dust off of the instruments and begin to play them for God again. They weren't honoring the feast. They weren't honoring the Passover. They weren't giving offerings. They settled into the culture that they swore to God they would never marry. But we've made this mistake in our culture where we've married the culture we were intended to change. And we're in Babylon singing the songs of the Lord to the Babylonians when we're supposed to be singing it to God in Babylon in order for Babylon to fall. Right? But we, we today got Grammys. Help us, Jesus. I want to go further, but I should be good. No, I should be behaved. Help us, Lord. That's all I'll say. We need God's help. And we need people. Nobody talks about it. We just need people willing to talk about it and willing to say, Lord, we may not have a lot, but here's our offering. We want to give you an offering again, not because we've figured out something better or we're more elite, but just actually getting back to the word again. So Hezekiah keeps going. And in verse 15, he says, they gathered their brothers, consecrated themselves, went in as the king had commanded by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. And the priests went into the inner parts of the house of the Lord and they cleansed it. And they brought out all uncleanliness and they found in the temple of the Lord, in the court of the house, all of David's instruments. And it goes on. And he begins to station Levites in verse 25. And he gives them symbols and harps all according to the commandment of David. And it says the Levites in verse 26 stood with their instruments of David, the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded that burnt offerings be offered on the altar. He's restoring the altar. He's restoring the offerings. And the song of the Lord began. Wow. Generations, the song of the Lord wasn't around anymore. So, so Hezekiah shows up. He says, get the debris out of the holy place. And you see this happen seven times in the Old Testament where the, the Davidic worship was forgotten about. High places were established, and then you would see over and over again, kings would come and they would say, they restored worship according to the order of David. They restored worship according to the order of David, and reformation would hit the land. And it was all centered around worship and praise. All centered around tending to the heart of the Lord. 
there's, this is the only two things we can give God that he didn't give us first. Worship and praise. We, he never worshiped us, ever, not one time. But we have this opportunity on the earth to give him something that we could only give him while we're on the earth. Too many waiting to get to heaven. So why, why according to the order of David? Well, here was, here was the order of David. David stands up in 1 Chronicles 13, and he's finally made it. Can I have the worship team come? He's finally gotten to the place of kingship that is prophesied over him for 15 to 20 years. He's finally there, and he stands up before millions of people on his like State of the Union day. And when he stands up, he doesn't say to them the military plans, the agenda for the nation, or anything about the economy. He stands up and he says one thing. We didn't go after the presence in the days of Saul, but we're going after it now. We're going to go get the ark. And he goes to the house of, of Abinadab, and he gets the ark of the covenant, and he has a desire to bring it out. And what are they doing? They, they dance, a lot happens between this. A friend dies, they, they weren't following the order of God, but they finally start following it. And he dances before the Lord with resounding praise, singing, ministry to God, discerning worshipers, and the spirit of God, the glory of God in the form of this Ark of the Covenant follows David into the city. Think about the progression. The glory followed him. The glory will follow the promise into Woodland and into Portland and into Seattle. Praise Jesus. So he's dancing the glory of God in, but David takes it one step further. One step further. Just a little bit softer, at least in these. One step further. And he says, well, I don't want him to just come into my city. I want him to stay in my city. So he says, I'm gonna build a house for the Lord. God says, you're gonna do that for me? Moves God so much, he says, David, I'm gonna do it for you. No one's ever asked me that before. No one's ever desired that before. Where did you get that from? And so what does David do? He gets a tent, breaks every schematic. I mean, didn't follow the instruction of Moses at all. Anyone ever wondered? David comes with only an ark and a tent, puts the ark inside of it, throws a tent up and doesn't die. I mean, he's wearing a linen ephod dancing before the Lord. You got to think about the implications of this. The linen ephod was only to be worn by the high priest that was under the tribe of Levi. David was under the tribe of Judah, not a priest. David had the courage to put on the high priestly robe when he wasn't a high priest and what he's prophesying through his life is one day through Christ Jesus, we will all be a kingdom of priests unto the Lord. That everybody's invited, everybody gets to be anointed and everybody gets to move God. You see, but I grew up in a system, in an environment where there's one guy that's anointed and everybody's there to get the touch from the one guy. And I'm telling you, the Lord is taking us from a model where I need that man to pray for me, where that man is anointed to where he's going to anoint entire communities. And what's going to happen inside of arenas when everybody's anointed? when everybody's come with oil, when everybody's got a priestly garment on, and I feel like we're in this moment where the Levites have got to stand up again. And I'm telling you, you guys are tapping into something here. 
Your worship community is tapping into something here. But I would tell you, there is something deeper that's about to take place in this house when everybody turns into the worship community. When you're not waiting for them to take you somewhere, I'll lift my hands when the song is right and it's the one I know. I'll engage when it's good enough. Talk about spiritual arrogance. This is what we have in the West. This is what we've worked hard for within our community is you don't wait for the worship team to take you somewhere. We're all going together. This wasn't, the, the, the order of the Lord was never just Moses. He wanted everybody to go and it was the people that said, no, you go for us. And we still want Moses. We love Moses and we make people famous. I feel bad for the celebrity Christians. They didn't make themselves famous, we did. And we worshiped them when they walked in because we love Moses. But I'm telling you, God is inviting a whole generation. Everyone put on your priestly robe. The unlikely, listen, you weren't anointed for it. You weren't called to it. There's no such thing in worship. Everybody gets this opportunity. You don't have to sing good. My dad used to say, if you're anointed, you'll bang on pots and pans and God will walk into a room. You know, in the, I guarantee you, worship probably sounds better than it did in the New Testament. They didn't even have speakers. Anyone ever just thought about 3,000 that day when Peter's preaching, 3,000 get saved? If you've ever been to Israel and seen the upper room, there's street corners. People are all over the city if there's 3,000 there and they're all hearing him somehow. Wow. So David shows up, breaks every rule, does things in the Old Testament that are punishable by death, but God can't say no to him. And his whole life speaks of grace and mercy. He's got it. He figured it out. The point is, is I want everybody to be like this for me. Well, what, was, what, what were the Levites? The Levites were the only tribe in all of Israel that didn't have a portion in the land. They had no inheritance. God said, I am their inheritance. I am their possession. Their reward is the very act of ministry to me. In other words, their reward is the fact that they get to get close to me. And they had it better than anybody else. David, fascinated by this. I want that, jealous for it. Tapping into something in God's heart. So Acts 15 comes along and the Lord says, through the book of Acts, and we see it in the book of Hosea that in hours coming today where God will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. The whole context of Acts 15 is grace. The whole context of Acts 15 is the apostles are trying to decide is circumcision still for today? And they show up and they say, circumcision is upon the heart. It's no longer flesh, it's upon the heart. And they said, consider David. Why did they pick David? Because David broke all the rules, but God honored his heart. God said, this is a man that has my heart. Man, he's learned the gospel before Jesus ever showed up. This is unbelievable. And David would have caught a glimpse of Revelation 4 and 5 thousands of years before it ever happened. So he brings the ark in, puts it under a tent, and God doesn't say, I want the tabernacle of Moses, which was perfect, or I want the temple of Solomon. That was absolutely spectacular. It would take nations today to rebuild the tabernacle of Solomon. He says, I want the one where it was messy. 
I want the one where it wasn't all the schematics were gone, all the prettiness was gone, and it was just this dude with a heart that said, I want God. Put it under the tent. Gosh, what kind of courage did this man have? So David goes on and he hires almost 10,000 people, 4,000 gatekeepers, 2,000 musicians, and 288 singers. He employs them with his own money. Just read it in the scriptures. He employs them with his own money, which they would say today is $400 million a year equivalent. And he pays them full time and their only job is to minister to God day and night. It's the only job. Kids going to sleep at night, hearing the songs of the Lord, and there was no crowd. The crowd was singing to the audience of God. So you see reformations happen every time they get back to the order of David, every time. And I believe in this hour, there's an invitation to get back to the order of David, where hundreds of people make it their decision that worship is not for us. It's not our worship experience. <laughs> it's God's worship experience. And we're gonna gather around the ark and we're gonna tend to his heart because when we think about what he's done, how dare we make church for us? Church is for him. Your closet's for you, but church is for him. And we've exchanged this temple model that's all about sacrificial worship, ministry to God. The barometer of the success of the temple was did the cloud come? Whereas in the synagogues, that was never God's plan. It was all about gathering people and teaching the word. That's good, we need that. But there was not a sound of sacrificial worship in synagogues. So Jesus shows up in Matthew 9 to all the synagogues. He said he went to every single one in every city and what he found was people like sheep without a shepherd rejected because he never told them to build synagogues. Scholars would say synagogues was the result of the loss of glory and the destruction of the temple dating back to the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. I don't have time to get into it, but he's looking for this model again that looks like a man who was crazy enough to throw the ark inside of a messy tent. It wasn't pretty. And God is inviting a generation to sing songs to the Lord again. So here's what I believe. Here's the interaction part. I've never actually done this anywhere other than our community. So <laughs> we're gonna see how this goes, but we're gonna give offerings to the Lord today. And I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about offerings of worship and offerings of praise. And I believe that reformation is gonna happen when a generation gets captivated by who he is, what he's done, and it's gonna erupt something in our hearts again that becomes sacrificial. And, and I believe that God is about to bring the promised church into a measure of high praise you have yet to experience. That he's about to bring you into a measure of high exuberant worship that is gonna cause people to drive by and cars begin to shake. Anyone, anyone want it, anyone believe it? Listen, I, I don't know about you, but even in our own community, I'm not satisfied, there's more. Anyone believe that there's more? You, I, when I came into this room last night, I thought, man, this whole place, you guys have done something and you feel close to God. I'm telling you that there's more. And so I feel like the scale is about to tip and it's not on God's part, it's how are you gonna participate? 
Are you going to come with oil? Are you going to come with offerings? But I believe we're in this moment, like a King Hezekiah moment, if it's time for the Levites to put their robes on again, it's time for you to realize that his desire is that you all become a kingdom of priests unto God. It's not just for Pastor Luke. It's not just for Pastor Jonathan. It's not just for Pastor Gerardo. and my, It's not just for a couple of leaders, but everyone is invited in to put your priestly robes on and stand up and begin to minister to God again. And so we are going to give God offerings of praise this morning, because I believe that this is where it starts, okay? And there's only one rule today, everybody has to give. (laughs) Again, you're concerned about your money. I'm not talking about your money. Everybody has to give, all right? Now I may or may not point you out. I'm just kidding. Well, I don't know if I'm kidding. But my heart today is that nobody's left behind. That's my heart. And some of you are gonna think it's about hype and emotion, fine. Think whatever you want. But I'll tell you, when you really get captivated by God, you're gonna struggle being silent. You're gonna struggle, like you'll notice about your pastor. He's a very gentle, calm guy. You hand him a microphone closing worship, something comes out of him. Like the noises and the groaning and and the crying. Why is he like that? Because he's been messed up. Because he's sick, sick with love. And it causes this exuberant thing. And people think, well, that's just for the guy on the mic. He's our cheerleader. No, no, no. I think we just hung up the instruments and it's time to get them back. All right, so listen, no spectators. Everybody's got to give. And you have permission. Is it okay? You have permission to praise the way that you want. You know, like when I was little, we ran laps around our church. I mean, I don't know if you want to start that here, but you know, probably not. But either way, you know, like I, I, I grew up and we were excited about church. Remember when church was fun? <laughs> In our own church, I'm like, guys, this is kind of depressing. We need to be excited again. We need to praise, like God is worthy. He hangs planets on nothing and he's here. What? Habakkuk says, his hands have lightning running through them and we're bored. It doesn't make any sense to me. I heard Bill Johnson share a a story one time that uh, he was worshiping and he said, all of a sudden I opened my eyes and I saw Thor running across my stage. A man dressed up like Thor with a hammer and he thought, that's weird. And he just kept worshiping. At least that's not happening here, you know? So anyway, I wanna remind you Psalms 104, Verse four, we enter his gates. How many of you wanna get close to him? How many of you wanna to run toward him? So, so here's the pathway. Here, here's, here's how we get in. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and a thank offering and into his courts with praise, with a praise offering. You have to come in bearing, holding something. It has to cost you something. For some of you, it's gonna cost you your personality. I'm an introvert and quiet. You're not allowed to be today. It's, gonna, it's called an offering of you may feel a certain way, but praise and worship has nothing to do with the way you feel or what your personality is. Naturally speaking, I am extremely introverted. Naturally speaking, I got an F in public speaking. Pastor Gerardo was in my class. I don't like doing this. I'd rather be in a room alone. When I invite, when my wife invites a lot of people to the house, I go to a private room so I can breathe just being honest, like I, I'm, I need to be better about loving my neighbors. But sometimes when I see my neighbor, I close the garage really quick. 
you know? And I gotta be better about that. That's not very pastoral of me, but this is not my personality, but God has a way of ruining you. So this is the roadmap to his presence. And I don't know about you, it's impossible to truly praise and not feel different. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Like maybe you've never jumped in your life, (laughs) but after you do it, you're like, man, that feels kind of liberating. My knees hurt, but I feel happy. This is what David would say. He would command his soul to praise the Lord. He would command himself. I don't feel like it. God says that's when it's most potent. Hebrews 13, 15 through 16, through him then, let's continually offer up a sacrifice. New Testament, guys, a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips. (laughs) There you go, can't be silent. What is it? Paul says it, it's the fruit of your lips praising him. It's not the fruit of your silence. He says, it's the fruit of your lips praising him. Do not neglect this doing good and sharing for such sacrifices God is pleased. So we're gonna give God some offerings, you ready? So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna share a few different Hebrew words with you which were different words that they would actually act out as praise offerings in the Old Testament. And we're gonna act it out like they told us to. This isn't a show, this is not a game. We're serious about this. And today we're gonna give God new offerings, all right? And I would challenge you as a community, do this every so often. It shakes the dust off a little bit. It gets us out of our comfort zone. Now, listen, if you're like have knee problems and pain, I believe if you just do this, you'll be healed, honestly. We've had testimonies of this stuff happening in our own community where people were nervous because they had issues within their vocal cords and a woman that couldn't couldn't hit, she used to be a soprano, but she had an issue within nodules, I think it's called, where she wasn't able to be a soprano anymore and hit a certain octave. So we did praise offerings and her voice opened up. We had an older man that, that, not an older man, that was mean. If he knew I said that, he'd be so offended. We had a middle-aged man that, had an issue with his Achilles and couldn't walk very long or stand or jump without excruciating pain. So we did praise offerings. And while he's jumping, he actually said, forget it, I'm just gonna do it. And he did it and God completely healed him in that moment. So praise has a way of going, Lord, I don't care how I feel, I'm gonna do it and God will heal you. So the first one we're gonna do is called yada. Everyone say yada. And I I would encourage you to write these down. You could practice them at home with your kids. Your kids, toddlers will love this stuff. Just have them scream and go crazy and give them permission to do it. The first one is yada. It means, listen, praise by the extending of hands. It's to throw your hands up. I love it. It's, it's described as when there's nothing else to do, you throw your hands up in a thank offering. Of I feel empty, you throw your hands up. I got no money, I throw my hands up. I'm sick, I throw my hands up. I, I always think, you know, today church is like lifting hands is like cool for social media pictures or, you know, we learned. And, and I think that there's an aspect of course of surrender, but how many of you, you know, I grew up to where like lifting your hands is like God pointing a gun at you saying surrender. <laughs> Do you know that the biblical meaning of lifting your hands was your literal hands become offerings to the Lord. This is the yada, it's the biblical meaning. Where is it in scripture? So Psalms 134.2, lift up your hands in the sanctuary as a yada to the Lord. 
Every time we lift our hands in word, like we should never have to come up here and say every hand lifted, right? We should all just be like, I'm giving God offerings in this moment. It's more than my money. I'm giving him my literal hands as offerings. It's, I mean, this, and this is all God's asking for. The best we can do, just give him your hands. Second Chronicles 20, 21. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and yada him in holy attire. And as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord, give yada to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. First Timothy 2.8, I desire that in every place that men should pray, lifting up holy hands without quarreling or without anger. Nehemiah 8.6, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God and all the people answered, amen and amen, lifting their hands in a yada praise. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped with, to the Lord with their faith to the ground. Psalms 107:15. let them yada the Lord for great love for the wonderful things he has done. So here you go. You ready? Here's what we're going to do. And you guys got to be ready. Just, just make sure you beat the heck out of the drums, okay? And if you're working and stuff and you have a camera and you yada, it's probably not wise because you're going to, that's not going to be good for the cameras. But, but everybody else, no spectating. This isn't like a fun thing to do where we're just gonna feel cool. I want you to actually think personally, in this moment, I'm giving an offering to God and you're gonna feel the room change, okay? So all we're gonna do is I'm gonna count to three. If you're afraid, you don't wanna do it. Now is not the time to be in the room, but here's all you're gonna do. This is it. This is all you're gonna do is you're just gonna stand up and with a great shout of praise, throw your hands up in the air. You could do that, right? You guys too cool for that? <laughs> I have news for you. Today, the cool thing to do is yada. The not cool thing to do is sit there in silence. All right. You ready? Are you this band ready? Yada, just go crazy and lift your hands and give God a great shout. Okay, you ready? One, get on the edge of your seats. You feel it. No, 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 you don't sit down. Just not yet. Not yet. We got to stand up together. It's, it's part of the offering. We're giving yada together. Hold on, I actually have to say this. Second Chronicles chapter five, it wasn't until the priests were blowing 120 trumpets at the same time in one accord that a cloud came. In Acts chapter two, it wasn't until they were singing in one accord. Everyone say one accord. There's an importance about we're doing it together. We're giving God an offering together. This actually is not spontaneous. This is very strategic of we're doing it in one accord. And every time something happened in one accord in the scriptures, God came. How many believe God's gonna come today? Okay, so get on the edge of your seats, ready? And all we're gonna do is we're gonna jump up, shout, lift our hands. One, two, three. Come on, every single person, let's go. Come on, keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah! All right, sit down. That was the warm-up. Sit down. That felt good, though, didn't it? Felt good, but it's not good enough. We need to do it again. You feel it, don't you? You feel excited. You feel just like over yourself and... You're not thinking about the Seahawks right now. I guarantee it. You're not thinking about your bills. It's, it's time to give offerings to God with money you don't have. If you don't have money, give him your hands. Ready? Second time. You guys ready to go? One, two, three. Come on, every single person.
you take your seats. You ready for the next one? I like you a lot. All right. You guys ready for the next one? You feeling okay? No one's tired or it's too late? We only got a few more to go. You okay with that? All right. This next one is Shabak. Write it down. S-H-A-B-A-C-H. Shabak. It's to shout. <laughs> no one's going to have a voice after this. It's to shout, to address in a loud tone. This is an actual biblical offering in the Old Testament of praise. It's to be loud. To shout, to address in a loud tone, and to command triumph. Wow. You're commanding winning. Psalms 47, one through two, come everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise. Shabbat. For the most high Lord is awesome and he is a great king of all the earth. Psalms 145, three and four, great is the Lord and highly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation will Shabbat your works to another. Listen to this. One generation is gonna command triumph to another generation. The praise offering is telling our kids, you're gonna be victorious. In a culture, listen, in a culture where culture has told us that our kids are victims, not my kids. In a culture that's told us your kids, look at the world they're gonna grow up in. I don't know about your kids, but my kids aren't growing up in the world. They might be in it, but they're not of it. As for me and my house, we will serve God. I don't care who's in Washington. I don't care who the president is. None of that is relevant in the kingdom of God where there is a king seated high above every principality, power, dominion, and rule. And here's, as for my kids, what this one is about is you're gonna shout to your kids, nothing can stop you. How many of you are believing for kids to come home? Raise your hand. This one is for them. This one is for them. This is how real this is. This is not just noise. This is not just height. This is us literally telling heaven and the sky that it doesn't matter what the enemy does, our kids are gonna win. Are you ready? So this one, if you've got kids especially, and if you don't have kids, Abraham gave an offering to the Lord in Hebrews 7, and when he gave the offering in Hebrews 7, it says the Levites that were in his loins, it was as if they were giving. So if you have kids or you don't have kids, this one is about we're declaring to another generation, nothing can stop you because God is with you. Ready? Same thing. You're just going to jump up and we're going to give the Lord praise with a loud shout. It's what it is. And it's going to impact our kids. You ready? One, two, three. Come on. Come on. Come on. Put your kids' names on your lips. Put your children's names on your lips. Put your children's names on your lips. Captivate God the next generation, Lord. From a young age, God, captivate them. 
Okay, sit down. You guys got three more in you? Promise? Oh, Jesus. This next one is Todah. It, it's much like Shabbat. It's to shout with a loud voice, but it goes further than that. This one is to praise God for the promises that you have yet to receive. This type of praise is one that is by faith and faith alone. It's, it proclaims I'm free while you're still bound. It's the one that your circumstances might still say bondage, but your hands and your mouth are saying something very different. It's, I'm fearful, but I'm going to shout. It's, I'm in pain, but I'm going to shout. I lost family members, but I'm going to praise God for their coming salvation. It's, it's the one thing, listen, it's one thing to praise God when everything's working and the breakthrough came. It's another thing to praise God while you're still going through it. In my opinion, this is the most potent. This is the one that you find, the counterpart of this word. You find it in Acts 16 when Paul is in prison with Silas and they're chained to the floor and it says that they were praising God with hymns. We're gonna see it in a second. And as they're praising God, not only did their chains break and their doors open, but every single person in all the prisons does. Just people that were in proximity to their praise got collateral freedom. Psalms 50, offer a sacrifice of praise, of todah and pay your vows to the Most High. This one is about not forgetting the vow that you gave the Lord. Psalms 50, 23, the one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me to the one who orders his way rightly. I will show the salvation of God. Psalms 56, I will remember my vows, my todah, and I'm gonna give him a todah of thanks for his help in a time of need. Acts 16, like I mentioned, now at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise. Everyone say praise. To God, and the prisoners were listening to them. There's always somebody listening to the way that you worship. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. Come on. I like to think the Lord came in with the bass note and the ground began to shake. And immediately, 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 all the doors of the prison were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Praise in the Greek, this counterpart, todah in the Greek, it means celebrate for what's coming, it's to give God a tithe. Wow. So we're gonna give God a tithe with a shout today. How many of you are believing for healing in your body? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're believing for healing in your body. How many of you are believing for healing in a family member or salvation for a family member? This is what this praise is for. And I believe with all my heart, whatever you're believing for, how many of you, it's something physical? Raise your hand if it's something physical. Okay, something physical. Is there any women in here that have digestive issues? Okay, I really feel this for digestive issues in the room, that this kind of praise is gonna heal your stomach. I think actually some of you in this moment are gonna literally feel fire go into your stomach and it's a sign that God's healing you. Are you ready? Are you ready? This one is potent. You gotta make it potent. I know it's, I know now we're getting a little bit tired and sweaty and our voices hurt, but this is where sacrifice kicks in. Ready? We're going to give God a toad off. Praise Him for what you need, even though you don't have it yet. Are you ready? One, 
two, three. Come on, every single voice. Everybody hold, come on. Everybody hold. Everybody hold, every child to come home. Everyone saved in Jesus' name. Come on, just a little bit longer. Make it sacrificial, come on. Make it sacrificial. <laughs> yeah! Everybody, everybody, come on. Yes, God. Our uncles, our aunts, our brothers, our sisters, our kids. Win them all, win them all, win them all, God. In Jesus' name. Okay. Take your seats. Two more. We're getting there. Two more. This next one, Samar. I love this one because this one requires you guys to do something and be spontaneous. Yes, I am putting you on the spot. And we're going to actually start with a drum solo. Seriously. All right, you ready? <laughs> I love this. Oh, you're never going to have me back. All right, here we go. This one is joyful expression of music. Rejoicing by plucking instruments. I hear people say this all the time that we play music in church to work on people's emotions. You're absolutely right. Let me tell you why. You notice that, what's your name? Olivia. When Olivia comes up and starts playing the piano, the room changes. You know why? It's because God created sound to change the way that you feel. How many of you know that music, it has the ability to take your mind somewhere that you're not? I'll give you a really good example. My brother growing up thought he was a gangster, okay? But he drove my mom's minivan in suburbia, Orange County, California. <laughs> and he would play songs. These are the BC days, so don't judge him. He's now the senior pastor of all of our locations. So he's really changed and grown, but he used to play Tupac, Eminem, in the minivan and he thought he was a gangster but he was not a gangster he was driving to the big comfortable home of my parents in my mom's blue minivan pastor gerardo remembers those days he grew up with us because music has a way of affecting the way that you think i'm very careful with my children that i don't i don't put things in their ears that belong to the world and you do whatever you want to do but music has a way of affecting you on the inside. And if you close your eyes, if you went through a breakup, women, maybe you will listen, I don't know, Taylor Swift. I don't know what you do, but it has a way of bringing comfort to you that only music can do. How much more worship? How much more? Yes, of course this is emotional. Why do you think we're crying? Everything about God is exuberant, emotional. You know that it doesn't say God loved the world he came. It says for God so loved. I love it. The scriptures are so clear. It doesn't say yeah, he had love, so he came. No, no, God wants to make it a point that you realize that he says so loved. He's so loved, he had to express it. He couldn't help himself. It's like my cute aggression with my kids. I got to express it. I got to squeeze them, do something. They make me crazy with how cute they are. Maybe it's me, just weird. But this is emotionally, the music, the worship takes you somewhere, all right? So I'm serious. 
Start with a little something, something, and just go crazy just for two minutes. Can you do that? And then you guys come in whenever you're ready and take us somewhere in worship and praise. You guys ready? This one starts standing. Let's start up by standing. Let's give them some encouragement. Putting a lot of pressure on you guys today. You're gonna kill it. <laughs> and, and you can jump, you can move, you can do whatever it is that you wanna do. But just remember, this is an actual biblical offering. Him banging on the instruments, he's giving an offering to God and we're joining in. And music is gonna take us somewhere. Are you ready? Okay, go, go start, start. <laughs> Come on, you can already feel it's different in here. <laughs> Bring them all in, bring them all in. Come on, no one's silent. 
one's going to require you to get out of your seats a little bit, stretch out. This last one is halah. It's where we get the word hallelujah. It's the most used word for praise in scripture. It's to clear things out of the way. It's to, it's to get the debris out of the way. It's to celebrate. It's to praise. It's to look foolish. That's what the Hebrew word means. You look like a fool when you do this one. This word in Hebrew gives you permission to lose dignity. This one is to run, shout, dance. It's music, it's song, it's all the above. It's this offering of praise. This one requires you to have no fear of man. It's the one that requires you not to care about what the person next to you thinks. This level of praise is the one that becomes contagious. It's joy that becomes like moving oil through a whole community. It's Psalms 113, one through three. Praise the Lord. Praise him, you servants of the Lord. Praise him, halal the name of the Lord and blessed be the name from this time and forevermore from the rising of the sun to the setting of its down. The name of the Lord is to be halal. Psalms 149, one through three, halal the Lord and sing to him a new song and praise him in the congregation of the godly ones. Israel, come on, we're prophesying even over what's happening in the Middle East. Israel shall be joyful in their maker. Come on. Israel will be joyful in their maker and the sons of Zion shall rejoice in their king. They shall halal him with dancing. They shall halal him with praises of singing tambourines and harps. David, David beautifully 
in the compiling of the Psalms brings it all together. It's like this man who went through everything he went through, everything he experienced, everything he encountered, the good, the bad, the lows, the, the happy, the sad. He comes to this one conclusion at the end of it all in Psalms 150. How he closes the book is, Halal the Lord. Praise the Lord in the sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harps. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with string instruments and flute. Praise him with loud cymbals. It's why I love the cymbals. Praise him with loud cymbals and praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So here's this one. You gotta get out of your seats a little bit. This one you clear out space for. The Hebrews would spread out among the city for this one because they needed some room to dance. They needed some room to worship. Come on, I know it's late. Where else are you gonna go and what else are you gonna do? Come on, this is what it's all about. This is how we build a house for the Lord. This is how we build a habitation for our God. Is we praise Him in the expanse. We praise Him with symbols. We praise Him with string instruments. We praise Him with our voices and we praise Him with dancing. So I want you to go a little crazy on this one. Are you ready? Are you ready? Start over with just the drums. Start over, start over, go, come on. Come on, some of you are still just standing there. Forget who's around you. Come on, forget who's around you. Look at Jesus. Look at what he's done. Come in with all the instruments. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> Woo! You're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy. Come on, go crazy. You lead it, you lead it. You lead it. Come on, if you're feeling not good, if your legs are tired, if you need healing in your knees, I dare you to jump. Come on, I dare you to jump. I dare you to jump. <laughs> Come on, big, 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 oh, yeah, you're worthy, you're worthy, come on, keep going, <laughs> come on, this is a house of praise, this is a house of praise, every voice, our hearts, our hearts,
last time every hand lifted that you take this house into high places of praise eruptions God and when somebody asks us why are you so excited why are you so loud why are you crying we remind them maybe you've forgotten that the one that hangs planets on nothing decided to come to church today how could we not be excited how could we not love how could we not be infected with this sickness Lord I pray that you give us the gift of hunger that you give us the gift of love sickness God that you release a Shulamite revelation here Lord one that says we will not rest we will not sleep until we find a place for the Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and everybody said amen. Give the Lord praise. Come on, give him praise.